You're listening to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast with your host, Vanessa Weisbrod. Welcome to the Gluten-Free Guide Podcast. I'm Vanessa Weisbrod from the Celiac Disease Program at Children's National Hospital. And I want to start out by saying a huge thank you to all of our dedicated listeners. I also want to thank the Global Autoimmune Institute for their ongoing support to make our podcast possible. Today's podcast is about something I know you can all relate to, social media. I'm sure that most of you are on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and at some point or another have seen posts in these groups targeted at people with celiac disease or those on a gluten-free diet. We're talking about this today because there have been so many ill-informed posts recently that our team here at Children's National just had to address it. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was perusing my Facebook feed and out popped a post in a group for parents and kids with celiac, claiming that a new study suggests that kids with celiac should not get important vaccines like the flu vaccine and the HPV vaccine. In fact, the post even linked to a claim saying that the HPV vaccine increased the risk of developing celiac disease. This is absolute nonsense. A little further investigation showed that the reference study actually found zero correlation between the vaccine and celiac disease. But at this point, it really didn't matter because one uninformed person posted this graphic on Facebook and in turn, nearly 8,000 parents read wrong information. And I'm guessing that most of them didn't take the time to go and read the full study. And even worse, most of them probably didn't even have access to it without paying an absurd fee for the journal. It's just infuriating. To help us talk about these issues, I have a wonderful group here in the studio with me. Our community education specialist, Joanna McMahon, and one of our amazing board members, Maureen Basie, who is a mom to a child with celiac disease. Welcome, crew. Hi. Hi. So guys, let's just start out by getting down and dirty. My blood is obviously already boiling. So tell me, what have you seen online lately that makes you mad? Where to start? Um, There's unfortunately so many posts of things that are so inaccurate and um, fear-mongering. I mean, people just post things without thinking and thinking of the consequences, and it's just really frustrating. (laughs) Maureen's sitting here looking in the sky. I know her mind is racing. Yes, very much so, specifically around holiday activities. I think we are all already on alert and exhausted (laughs) from dealing with all of the events taking place at school but things that we have done our research on and feel comfortable and confident about are no longer an issue, all of a sudden there's that little post that makes you start to question everything you've trusted up to this point. And I think for people who are not willing to take that extra step, their list of things that they cannot have is so much longer than anything they can have. So, Joanna, you spend a lot of time at Children's National working with families at school. Yes. So, helping them develop 504 plans and, you know, plan for a really good experience. And I know that I tag you a lot in social media posts. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you know, and what I'm often so intrigued by is that there are lots of parents, like Maureen mentioned, who are posting about bad experiences at school. But... I'm just so curious why these people aren't coming to their doctors or to other professionals to help them with this and in turn relying on on social media. So what are you hearing from these families? I'm honestly not sure why they choose to handle it that way. I'm not sure if it's that they're looking for that um, 
community response or honestly I do think there's something almost to be said for the fact that they feel they want that response they, they want that reaction of the huge big group on social media and I, and I think that's honestly just our general culture of like you know posting a photograph and wanting to see how many likes it gets you know it's there's something I think innate in us that we want to have that um, online community and, and feel heard more um, and, and honestly, I do think there's also some work that goes into potentially to actually going to the true source of a doctor or someone mm -hmm. to actually discuss um, and finding the reaction. Um, the other thing too, I think when we even look at like, you know, is something gluten free, the amount of people that choose to actually go through the proper channels and calling the manufacturer or verifying with like, you know, um, true sources to finding out about the safety of the product as opposed to just typing in on Google and or on, on Facebook and trying to find the response that way, which is the safer response. But yet that's the one that's the easiest when you just pick up your phone and do it. Absolutely. You know, I'm always intrigued by these posts that people have about experiences their kids are having in school and how quick people are to respond, well, just get an excused absence for your child. Like they shouldn't be in the room if there's gluten there. And, you know, talk, talk to us about that. Is there a safe way for kids to be in a classroom that has gluten in it? Most definitely. Um, I mean, they can, they can participate in pretty much any activity. As long as we get enough people to come to the table and, and are reasonable about talking it out. I mean, think about it. These, these are the schools. Like, these are the people who are caring for our children every day. Yes, they might need some education. But they, of course, also want the best for our children. So it's just bringing them able to be level-headed, all of us, not speaking emotionally, but being able to actually talk about how to get to the best possible solution and, and educating them about how to do it safely. But there are, can be accommodations made to do anything in a classroom, whether it's a cooking activity or baking or you know participating in a gingerbread making event right around holidays. So Maureen has a really interesting perspective in that she's both dealing with a young child going to school with celiac disease, but also the career woman in leading these celiac cruises where she's on the other side of things where social media is coming at her as a, a professional. So I'm, I'm curious how you felt being in both of these worlds and if it's been different for you using social media as a mom versus as a professional. Well, I think one thing we all know as, as mothers and parents um, of young children, for better or for worse, social media sometimes is an outlet outside of a moment in your home that perhaps you've been surrounded by little people all day and you just need to connect. And I think that is one, there's a lot of advantages to that. It makes you feel there's a support system, there's a community, which I think we all have found in all of these social media groups um, within our celiac community. However, there's a lot of, I think, sometimes the good outweighs the bad because you're looking for a quick response to something and you get it, but then all of a sudden things that you felt 95% confident about after doing your own research, you step back because there's an exception to everything. And every child is different too. Um, I think that you know, we're all along this, we're in this journey in a different place, you know, from the beginning of having to be, you know, keeping oats out of our lives versus, you know, so all the, thing, the things that you've trusted up to this point, now you start to question. Whereas um, I have found social media to be very helpful in other regards, and that is 
is sharing positive information, sharing opportunities for us to come together as a community and build each other up as opposed to, you know, reminding us that we are, you know, our children have to operate on a different level within schools and things like that. So I think there's, there's definitely good from it, but at the same time, um, you know, there's definitely been nights in which my knife has spiraled because of something I have posted or something I had read, and it, it, can, it can turn the night around. So. It's so true. It really can. Um, you brought up an interesting point about oats, and I, I'm constantly amazed with the posts about oats and how people just can't accept that mechanically sorted oats might be safe for people with celiac disease. And there's just this whole outcrying of people who are, are against it and are advocating for companies not to use them and not to make more gluten-free products, even though they're testing to very, very safe limits and testing their products even more rigorously than others. And my question is always, why are these social media people so anti-mechanically sorted oats when there's just no data to show that they're unsafe? And you know why? Why is it right to be convincing people to not eat something that could be totally safe for them that there's no data to say is wrong for them? Well, I think again, it goes back to you are listening instead of your medical team. You are listening to your social media team, um, which again has a lot of great, great things for us to learn and connect with. But at the same time. I think it's a lack of time, specifically dealing with parents who are exhausted and are overwhelmed at what might be a significant change in lifestyle, that they see something and then it's crossed off the list without doing any further research of, you know, of what is necessary to possibly consume things that you normally would have been able to. So um, as you probably can tell, we are not in a normal quiet studio space today. Um, we're actually in our diabetes care complex kitchens at Children's National Hospital, where we are today carrying out phase three of our gluten contamination study. Um, I'm sure by now many of you saw phase one, where we published a paper in the journal Gastroenterology looking at the risk of cross contact with gluten in shared toasters and um, pots. And so we had such an amazing response to that paper that we decided to do a larger scale study partnering with four other institutions, Colorado Children's Hospital, the Mayo Clinic, the University of Chicago, and Boston Children's Hospital for a much, much larger study. And so we're actually holding the first of five study days today. So, um, And it's, it's actually really kind of therapeutic to talk about social media in relation to this study because, as I'm sure you all saw, there was quite the outcry to our first study, um, which Joanna and Maureen were both involved with um, helping to respond to some of those comments, but what did you guys think of, of what people said about the, the first study? I was kind of shocked at how um, angry people mm -hmm. were. There, you know, yes, there are obviously, um, you know, follow-up questions that I think we all had. I mean, we all were surprised by the results, to be perfectly honest, but, and, and the, you know, intentative. I mean, to kind of like, you know, jump on all of it. Like, I'm not saying like the next day I went out and decided to, you know, use my shared toaster, but um, I was surprised by the anger of, of how that was way people used, you know, um, to channel their fear. Um, and, and, and honestly, even at just some of the, um, the 
deeply personal critical responses against you know the hospital or the team or where we were coming from and I guess that's one of my biggest questions about social media in general is why I mean I guess that you know maybe goes back to the whole idea of being able to sit behind your screen and say things that you never would to a person mm -hmm. in person um, but why people chose to kind of come out so viciously and attack for those who didn't see the posts um, after we received after the study was posted online, um, we, we received incredibly positive feedback from the medical and nutrition communities, but the feedback from the general public, as Joanna said, was um, really angry. And so angry, in fact, that we received multiple messages at our hospital telling us that the only reason we did the study was to make patients sicker so that we would make more money for the hospital, which to us kind of felt like a big stab in the heart in that we planned this study to help improve the quality of life of our patients so that we could really truly understand what the risk is mm -hmm. of gluten exposure and have guidelines that really take into account what we should be doing based on data. And not just patients, but all of us yeah. in our immediate families. I mean, exactly. I think that that's something critical to make note. This is not a third party issue. This is something that we all live with day to day. And I think change, was one of the major possible, I mean, for the longest time, you've been operating upon this set of ways. This is how you were supposed to do it. This is how, you know, and then all of a sudden, no one has stopped and said, why? Why were we told that? Because that's just how it was. Yep. But I think new information, change is something that people struggle with. So all of a sudden, it creates emotions that I think people possibly, you know, were, it's, it was amazing though. I mean, I think that it's something that what we're doing is continuously bettering the lives. <laughs> the hope and goal is to better the lives of all of us and our children and, and spouses and parents, just to be able to live a little bit easily, simpler, a simpler lifestyle. Yeah. So. So I want to switch gears for a second and talk about social media influencers in different medical disease groups. So one of the things I've been really struck by at all these medical conferences is the collaborations that I see amongst social media physicians and nurses and dietitians and nutritionists and psychologists for other disease groups. So for example, um, irritable bowel disease, they have Monday night IBD that's led by doctors and psychologists and nutritionists all across the country who are engaging with patients and other providers and families and having productive conversations about different topics in IBD. And I think it's amazing to see these people you know, providing really high quality information to their groups. You see the same thing in diabetes and asthma and CF, but in celiac disease, we don't see those same thought leaders steering the message for the gluten-free community. Um, instead, we see um, people who aren't necessarily credentialed to be making comments on research or on treatments. And, and I think it's really interesting that there isn't that same type of community in celiac disease leading the social media message. And I wonder if part of that up to this point has been the subjectivity of what is okay and what's not. I mean, I think there's, there's, we all have some objective information upon diagnosis, which yes, biopsies, you know, blood levels, things like that. But after that, it is a little bit subjective. And I think it's hard for people to 
kind of operate under that. Well, I think that's one of the largest problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially with even what people's responses were coming out to our research study is I think a large part of the problem is um, people immediately assume anytime they have any kind of discomfort or symptoms that it immediately must be related to, you know, gluten. And if someone didn't have celiac disease, would they necessarily operate that way? You get a bad headache, you don't immediately jump on that, you know, it's something that must be related to what you ate. It could be, you know, anything, you know, we could just be coming down with a cold. But um, I think that's one of the largest problems is that, you know, people, um, you kind of almost do become a little, um, I don't want to say like, you know, um, I mean, super sensitive, I guess, to the idea. Like that's immediately where you're going to jump to the conclusion. And um, I do think that's something that um, needs to be addressed more in the community of the fact of like, how do we actually differentiate um, when something is making us ill because of our gluten reaction as to just maybe general food poisoning or who knows what else, like the things that could be going on with our bodies. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. This is all a lot to think about <laughs> in that we all use social media so often. I mean, I know I look at my social media accounts many times a day. Um, but I think what I, I want to encourage people to do, and you know, the three of us have all of these conversations and share text messages with each other all the time when we see these crazy messages posted online. But we're really lucky in that we work at a hospital center where we are with researchers and we are with physicians and we attend medical conferences and we learn and we're getting access to the right information and we're lucky to also be a part of a national network of celiac disease centers. There are 12 that we work with around the country and I just want to really encourage our listeners whether you live in Washington DC in our area or if you live in Seattle or in Boston or Chicago or Colorado or California all over the country, uh, Philadelphia, New York, to go to your local celiac centers and ask the questions, call them and email them. It doesn't even matter if you're a patient at their centers. They are there to help you and to sort through these really complicated issues. And especially with something as serious as a vaccine for your child, mm -hmm. which we know the flu has been deadly these past few years. It is so important to get the flu vaccine. There's actually a whole study done by the group of Columbia led by Dr. Benjamin Leval, who was on our podcast last year talking about it. The flu vaccine is absolutely safe for people with celiac disease and you should absolutely get it for yourself and your child with celiac disease. Um, the same is true for the HPV vaccine. So please, 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 when you see these messages online, call us, email us, celiac at childrensnational.org, or call your local celiac center and get the right information from people who spend their, their days, their professions, being knowledgeable about these things. And don't always rely on these social media groups for things that are truly life-changing. So I think we all have a lot to think about and how we're going to use social media. But the one thing I can promise you is that our group will continue to be a part of these groups and we will continue to respond to these messages and try to post the truth as much as we can and to help our community navigate these issues online. Because we know there are great things about social media. Yes. I've made yes. so many great friends in the gluten-free community on social media and have connected with so many wonderful people. But we all have to work together to make sure that we're sharing accurate information so that we we all are living the safest and greatest gluten-free lives that we can. You're here.
<laughs> and because I have to say something, um, for those of you who have not checked out the Celiac Cruise website lately or don't follow them on social media, just this week Maureen's team launched the next Celiac Cruise, which will be sailing in October 2020 over Columbus Day weekend. It will be going on to the beautiful Bahamas again. There will be lots of super wonderful activities on the ship. And uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do so. Celiaccruise.com. So I want to thank Diana and Maureen yes. both for being here today. I'm glad we could do this. And uh, we're giving a shout out to Kate Raber, who is over here in the kitchen. Um, we finished all of our toaster testing for the today, and she's now finishing up the pasta and uh, pasta pot and colander testing. Sorry for the background noise. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully we'll have some really awesome results to share with you all soon. Yes. So thanks for tuning in today, and we will talk to you again next time.